Well, if you have a Bible, I want you to follow me all the way to the T's, to the end of your Bible, to the T's. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Okay, that's in the New Testament. Uh, if you have one of the Bibles that we hand out, it's on page six forty-one. If that helps, it's right after Philippians. I want you to go First Thessalonians. Okay, First Thessalonians. I want you to go over to chapter five in First Thessalonians and follow along as I read that. Okay, chapter 5, verse 1. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are asleep or awake, we will live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Well, I realize not very many of you are new tonight, the last night of Cross Life, but I did meet a few of you uh, who this is your first time. So let me just catch you up to speed. We've been going through a series all semester called Alone Together. Alone together. Here's the idea. We, there's a real sense in which we as Christians in this world are alone. Okay? We can feel ostracized by others' worldview or by the world around us, the sinful, broken world. And so sometimes we feel very alone. But there's an even more real sense in which as we feel alone, we're alone together. Christians were never meant to exist and worship in isolation. We're alone together. And so the title Alone Together is based off of the one another's of Scripture, the one another's of the New Testament. Okay, and there's 48 of those, and obviously we haven't hit them all this semester, but we've worked fairly diligently to get through those. And tonight we wrap the series up with our last one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 through 11, he starts a new section in his letter to the Thessalonians. He starts talking about the day of the Lord, what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, the final judgment. It's where God's wrath against sin is fully known and shown and realized. Okay, Right before this, in chapter 4, verse 13, right up to the beginning of this chapter, he's talking about the second coming of Christ. We're going to go back to that, but the Thessalonians had a real uncertainty and questions surrounding the end times, Okay, what we would call the end times. They knew Jesus was going to come back again. They knew He was coming for a second coming, but they're really confused as to what that was going to look like. So he talks about Jesus' second coming, and then in chapter 5, he switches over to talk about the day of the Lord. And he reminds them, be this, be alert, be watchful, be sober, be self-controlled about the times. Because our nature, that is daytime, nighttime, and thus our behavior, the difference between being self-controlled or drunk or wild like the world, our nature and our behavior is now different. Paul sets up two contrasts here. Okay, the first is light and darkness, or daytime and nighttime. 
This analogy is not new to 1 Thessalonians. It's not even new to the New Testament. Believers over and over are characterized as people of the day, people of the light, brought out of the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of His beloved Son. People of the day. So the nature of believers is different. Okay? The behavior, Paul says, should also be different. It should be self-controlled, sober, and watchful. They've been delivered out of this darkness and night and into the light and daytime. Okay? So it's this picturesque kind of language. Again, it's not unique to this uh, part of the New Testament, but we do see it again and again. The Bible talks about the division clear-cut between believers and unbelievers. Light Darkness, soberness, drunkenness. Okay? If you've been brought out of the darkness, if you're listening, if you're within earshot here tonight, if you've been brought out of the darkness, verse 9 says, God has not destined us for wrath. He's talking about the, in two of the believers here. God has not destined us for wrath, but what? To obtain, obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as a human born sinful into a sinful world, making sinful decisions, the only right thing for God to do apart from Jesus Christ is to punish us. To pour His wrath, His holy hatred out on us. Apart from Christ, He must punish that sin. In fact, He must punish that sin. Unless Christ comes and gives us salvation, He crushes a person under His wrath. The just punishment for sin. That punishment, in case you didn't know, would make us destined for God's wrath His holy hatred, eternity apart from Him in a place called hell. That's serious. That's sobering, isn't it? But those who have salvation in Jesus Christ can be delivered from that wrath and have been delivered from that wrath through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus took that wrath from God on the cross. I know for many of us, we grew up hearing that. We've heard that many times. If you're new tonight, you need to know that you deserve God's wrath, the only way you're getting away from God's wrath is if another steps in your place. Either you take God's wrath or Jesus, the perfect Son of God, steps in and takes that wrath of God on the cross. God has not destined us for wrath, Paul says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul reminds them, and us, by extension of our lives being separated from the wrath, or being spared from the wrath of God, our salvation is in Christ. And look at verse 10. Who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with Him. So he reminds us that whether we're dead or alive, we're going to be with Jesus. The Thessalonians, the people Paul is writing to, they would have needed to have been reminded because they were concerned about how this whole end times thing, like I mentioned, was shaken out. Uh, There's a word we sometimes use in church called eschatology. Okay, big word, but pretty simple meaning. Eschatos in Greek means last. And you know ology means study. So it's a study of the last things or study of the last times. So these, you might say these Thessalonians' eschatology was confused. It was, they were unsure of what was going to happen. And you can imagine if you knew Christ was coming back, but you had people passing away and you knew you were going to pass away, if you were confused about this, you can imagine how it would be troubling, couldn't you? You can imagine how a confusion in this area would be very troubling to your soul. In fact, look back one chapter at chapter 4, verse 13. 13 through 18 reads this way. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. This passage is a little bit tricky, so let me try and distill it for you. Again, these Thessalonians knew Jesus was coming back, but they'd voiced this concern to Paul about their loved ones. Some of their loved ones who died before Christ came back. Or as Paul referred to it, and as he writes here, those who had fallen asleep. And it's a really neat kind of picture and word for Christians, isn't it? Those who have fallen asleep. It reminded me of that song as I was studying, no fear or no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. For a Christian, the New Testament, Paul uses this word, this idea of falling asleep. Sleep is a euphemism for death in the Bible for Christians because while their body dies, while our body might die, our soul goes directly to be with the Lord. In fact, if you're familiar, it made me think of Acts 7 with Stephen. When Stephen's being stoned, he's the first martyr. And it says, you remember how it talks about him dying? It says he fell asleep. Well, no one really falls asleep when you're getting stoned. Okay, if someone's tossing boulders at your melon, you're not going to doze off in the midst of that. Okay, but Stephen fell asleep. He went to be with the Lord. So grieving is understandable, isn't it? We all grieve at death. We all grieve when someone dies. That's appropriate. In parts of the Bible, it's even commanded to weep with those who are weeping. Grieving is understandable. But these Thessalonians were grieving somewhat unnecessarily. Paul says they were grieving as those who have no hope. They were doing good, but when it came to death, when it came to mourning, they were acting just like they had no hope. They were acting like unbelievers. Their question could have been phrased this way. What happens to Christians who die before Christ comes back? Do they really get to be and see Christ? I'm frequently impressed. I don't know about you. But at the time of death, and many of you know and have seen through family members or friends, at the time of death, there's a heightened sensitivity about the idea of eternity, is there not? For the reason of the soberness, the sobriety of death, eternity really starts to come into view, doesn't it? Time and time again. In fact, just today I got an email from a friend whose brother had died. I want to read it to you, at least part of it, what this friend said to me said, Howe has been struggling with COPD for many years and apparently is succumbing to, to that disease as the doctors have estimated his death to be within the next 24 to 48 hours. Our family is blessed to be together at Howe's bedside during these last hours at his home where he is receiving some hospice care. Howe has, has stopped taking oral nourishment but is being kept as comfortable as possible. And though he doesn't communicate verbally, he does hear us. All of us, including his wife, three daughters, and seven grandchildren, are comforting, are comforted just being together as we minister to him and to each other. Please, please pray for our family and pray with me that the Lord will take Hal home to live forever in his presence without the ravages of pain and disease where he, he can worship the Lord in sinless perfection. For we do, and then he quotes, not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring him to those who have fallen asleep. First Thessalonians 4, 
13 and 14. That's our scripture. That's the idea. This believer gets it, doesn't he? He sees eternity. He understands his brother Hal's passing. But he grieves, not as those who have no hope. And this is important for us to understand. I think of not so long ago when our dear friend Jocelyn passed away at this time of year. We grieve, but not as those who have no hope. We have every reason to believe that Jocelyn now worships Jesus in fullness, away from pain, away from the difficulty, away from the sin of this world. People realize that the deal is sealed, that the person's eternity is set, and into the presence of God or out of the presence of God they go immediately. And these believers need to be reminded that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, those who are asleep, those who are dead as Christians, will be raised when He comes back for them. Okay? Then he goes on to explain how this will happen. I want you to pay attention because this will lead into the reason for encouragement near the end. Verse 16 of chapter 4. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And this is where we get the word and the idea rapture. Okay? A word that means a catching up. The ones who are with God in spirit will be joined with their bodies and they'll meet God together in the air. The result is simple. We will always be with the Lord. Fear not, Thessalonians, and fear not, beloved Christians, beloved cross-lifers, whether in life or in death, when Jesus comes back, we will, we will be with the Lord. I don't know if I could think of seven more encouraging words than we will always be with the Lord. I don't know that I could come up with seven more encouraging words than we will always be with the Lord. I can see some of you counting those in your head as I say them. We will always, always, will always. But isn't that an encouragement? It made me think of, uh, I hope this is a helpful memory tool for you, but it made me think of, uh, <laughs> do you guys remember Napoleon Dynamite? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you guys remember the part where Uncle Rico is selling the Tupperware <laughs> to the couple? And he pulls out the Tupperware and he sets it on the table and he's trying to sell it. It's before he drives over it and it breaks and he drives off. Before that, he pulls it out on the table and it's the husband and wife and they aren't really sold at this point. But you remember he pulls the little bonus prize out on the table? What's he pull out? A ship, a sailboat, right? It's this model sailboat. And you remember what she says? I want that. That's how she says it, right? And the deal is sealed. And as I was thinking about, we will always be with the Lord, I was thinking, I want that. (laughs) I want that. How could you not want eternity with the Lord? How could you not crave? How could you not long to be with the Lord? This is a passage not just to build your eschatology, not just to remind you of end times, but mainly, primarily, verse 18 tells us what it's for. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what this is for. Encourage one another with these words. Why? Why should we do this? Well, because our privilege in heaven is not merely, no, not even primarily being delivered from God's wrath. 
Our privilege in heaven is to be with Christ for all of eternity. Amen? That's good news. That's encouraging news. That's to encourage one another. Build one another up. Go back to our text in chapter 5, verse 10. This helps us. I know this is just a chapter apart, but verse 10 of chapter 5, he says, that's why we're, whether we're, he says, whether we're awake or asleep, we'll live together with Him. Same idea there. Oh, Christian, this is glorious. This is good news. This is gospel. We will always be with the Lord. This is truth worth rejoicing. This is truth worth celebrating. This is truth worth encouraging one another. I look forward with anticipation. I want that. I want that. I hope that you want that. I look forward to that. You can see how my friend would have been encouraged by this passage. You can see at a time of mourning, like I know at least one of you in this room is here tonight, that you would be encouraged, that you would be built up by this passage. Look again, verse 11, what this should make us do. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Here it is again, just a chapter apart. Encourage one another. Build one another up just as you're doing. Our final one another, our final Alone Together series, encourage one another. That's it, Christian. Encourage one another. Build one another up in the faith. That was the Thessalonians' responsibility, and that's every Christian's responsibility since then. And until Christ comes back, encourage one another. Build one another up. This passage so aptly fits our group, so rightly fits our group. As I was thinking about it, I thought back over the semester, Paul's message to the Thessalonians throughout his two letters, it was consistent. You're doing really good. Even though you're new Christians, you're doing really good. But you can do better yet. Excel still the more. Press ahead. And that's why he adds the phrase, just as you are also doing. Just as you are already doing. And I'd like to add that to my phraseology with you. Encourage one another just as you are already doing. I see so many of you doing this. Many of you, if not all of you, doing this. Building one another up. Encouraging one another. I see these one another's being practiced more and more, and I praise God for it. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Let me try and round out our time. Let me close with some expanded thoughts and application to this command of encourage one another. Okay? Especially, listen, especially as it applies to your next five weeks. Big Christmas break, isn't it? It's huge. In five weeks, it won't be till the middle of January that we're here again. So I want to talk about a few things here. First, if you have an outline, what is it? What is encouragement? The basic word is parakaleo. Okay? And it's used here in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 and 4.18. Same word, and it appears several times throughout the New Testament. And it's sometimes translated exhort, admonish or rebuke, or to teach. Other times it's translated uh, beg, entreat, beseech, but also to console, or to encourage, or comfort. That's where we find it here. To comfort or to encourage. But the basic word is always used for one purpose. One primary purpose. And that's to describe functions. Functions that will help Christians be built up in Christ and to help one another be built up in Christ. That's this word. That's what encouragement is. You might say it this way. It's more consolatory than it is hortatory. Hortatory. What do I mean by that? This word here in this passage is meant to console. It's consolatory. It's meant to help, to encourage, to comfort, to console you. 
It's less here meant as a rebuke. It's less here meant as an admonishment. Now, it is used that way some places. But as I thought about what encouragement is, I thought about sometimes how we as Christians, I'll include myself in this, can use encouragement as an excuse to say something hard, can't we? I see this far too often. It goes like this. Hey, brother, let me encourage you real quick. I really think you messed up back there. (laughs) It's just an intro into a saying. That's not encouragement, is it? No. So as we use this word, as we understand encouragement, let's make sure that we're actually encouraging people. Is there a time to rebuke? Is there a time to use this word more hortatory? Absolutely. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But this word is meant to build up. The idea here is to comfort. Okay? There is a place for admonishment. But here we're talking about the consoling idea of encouraging one another, building one another up. Okay, that's what. Let's talk about who. Who? Well, this is pretty obvious, isn't it? Encourage one another. Encourage other believers. But especially, especially as we've talked about through the semester, as it pertains to those in the local body of Christ, the local church that you are a part of and that you serve in, especially those in your church, and even and especially those in this room, encourage one another. Build one another up. And maybe, just as an idea, you want to make a Facebook group for your community group over break. Find a way to encourage one another. Or maybe you want to make a text group so you can shoot one another encouraging texts. Maybe you want to find a way in your own church back home to go in and encourage the daylights out of the people in your congregation. In fact, not maybe, but probably. That's the idea here. Encourage. Who? Other believers. Find ways to put yourself in the way of people so you can encourage them, so you can build them up. I hope this study has helped you as much as it has me realize the burden, the job of these one another's. It's not merely the pastor. It's not merely the musicians. It's not merely the apprentices. It's not merely anyone. It's all of us. It's everyone in this room. These one another's are for all of us. So the who? All of us. Everyone, everyone who's a believer. The who is whoever God puts in your path. Whoever God puts in your path, you ought to be a source of encouragement to. Okay? That's what, that's who. Now let's talk about why. Why do we need encouragement? Well, truth be told, there's not many strong, is there? Not many wise. If we were to be quite honest, we're more weak and feeble than we sometimes like to admit. We, even as Christians, even with the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, we need encouragement, don't we? You bet we need encouragement. We are weak and feeble creatures. The why is this. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. We need encouragement. Let's admit it. Let's be okay with the idea that we need people to come alongside of us and act out this one another in our life. There's four Four of these 58 one another's that command us to encourage one another. And I want to take you to the third as it pertains especially to Christmas break. Okay, it's in Hebrews. I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to mark it or turn there, you can. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, it says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort or encourage, that's the word again, one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm till the end. 
as it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is our hortatory exhortation. I want to exhort, I want to encourage you to encourage one another so none of you is hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We can easily be hardened. We can quickly be hardened. Unfortunately, I see it every semester. It breaks my heart, but I see Christians, even Christians, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And listen, Christmas break is an incredible, incredible opportunity. It can also be an incredibly, incredibly dangerous place for you if you're not ready. If you go into this break lackadaisical, if you go into this break without a plan, if you go into this break without discipline, you can be easily hardened. I want you to see, I want you to see that we can come back, that you can come back from Christmas break spiritually fit, spiritually fat, or spiritually famished. What do I mean? Spiritually fit, spiritually fat, or spiritually famished. Spiritually fat, I mean, you can go home and listen to sermons every day and be in the Word every day. You can go back and listen to sermons throughout the, we had throughout the semester or from some other place. You can read and study, but if you don't exercise, if you don't get in your church back home, or if you don't find a church back home, if you don't find a way to be around other believers, you will not exercise. You will not come back spiritually fit. You will come back spiritually fat and out of shape. You must find ways not just to take in but to also exercise. You could also come back and we could see you January 15th spiritually famished. I'll never forget, and forgive me if I've already told you this, but it's cemented in my mind. When I was a student, a young believer at MSU, a man who was mentoring me at the time, he said, man, how did, how did things go over Christmas break, Tanner? How did your time in the Word go? I said, man, I, I don't know. I, was, I think I read it a couple times. I was in the Word a couple times. He said, man, me and my buddy, we used that extra time to go deeper, to go farther, to go places that we couldn't go when we were constrained by school. And that was cemented in my mind. Listen, when you break up the rhythm, when you break up your routine, it's going to be easy to fall into laziness. It's going to be easy to fall into spiritual apathy. And you can come back spiritually famished if you're not careful, if you're not feeding on the Word of God and exercising. On the other hand, you could come back spiritually fit. You could go home and you could read and you could keep on and you could come back and pick up January 15th where you left off tonight. I take it back, not even where you left off, but more like Christ than when you left. More humble, more bold, more loving, more service-minded. Man, let that be you. Let that be me. Please, Lord, help us come back spiritually fit, not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But when you go back, I realize... I didn't fall off the wagon yesterday. I realized when you go back, there's going to be old relationships. There's going to be old friends. There's going to be old temptations. There's going to be a temptation towards things of the world that you didn't have as much here in different ways. There will be a temptation towards pornography. There will be a temptation to give Satan a foothold in your life that you didn't have when you got into the steady, diligent, disciplined routine that you had throughout this semester. So Christian, when you go back... Even if you stay, guard your heart with diligence. Watch your life carefully. Find ways to encourage one another. I do not want to see you come back spiritually famished. I long to see you. I long to come back spiritually fit. And you go ahead and ask me. I'd love it if you ask me at the end of the break. 
Tanner, were you in the word? Tanner, are you spiritually fit? Tanner, did you press on in the faith? Exhort, encourage one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And by the way, before I move to our next point, this passage in Hebrews 3, for those of you who are outside of Christ, who somehow made it through this semester without turning in repentance and faith towards Christ, this should cause you to fear greatly. Okay. Unless you turn to Christ in faith and repentance, this will be no more than the aroma of death to you. This passage says, lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Who has an evil, unbelieving heart? All of us B.C. All of us before conversion. So if you haven't been converted, if you haven't turned to Christ in faith, I beg that you would. Before with an evil, unbelieving heart, you turn away from what you've learned. You turn away from what you've heard. You turn away from even what you've seen in your friends. So the why? The why is because we're weak and we're feeble and we need it. The why is also for any of you who are outside of Christ. You may not get that Christian. You may not get that friend who brought you here tonight exhorting you, encouraging you, asking you, telling you the truth. Don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's sobering, isn't it? But it's significant and it would not be fair. I don't think it would be loving of me to tell you in this last teaching time together, not to be careful during your Christmas break. You can see your Christmas break, and I pray that you would, I pray that I would, see it as a tremendous opportunity, an opportunity like few other times, even perhaps better than summer, to grow in Christ-likeness, to press on in the Lord. On the other hand, I fear, I fear for you, if you don't make a commitment before the Lord and before your brothers and sisters to press on, to encourage one another, to build one another up, what could happen? So that's the what, that's the who, that's the why. Let's finish with the how. How do we gain and how do we give encouragement? Well, three ways I thought of. The first is by watching someone live. I'll be honest, the first thing that came to mind with encourage one another is watching you all. And just being around you all. I am encouraged, I am built up by you. Watching your lives, hearing from you, seeing your life. So the first way is watching someone live. We can be encouraged and built up by practicing and by receiving these one another's that we've been doing all semester. I thought of Romans 16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, what does that passage mean for us? Greet one another with a holy kiss. In those days, you know, you understand that they greeted one another with a holy kiss. And they still do this in parts of the world, don't they? They kind of do a fake kiss or a real kiss on either side of the cheek. They greeted one another in a loving way. One of our one another's is greet one another. One of the ways I'm encouraged is when I see two believers get together that haven't seen each other in a while, and they're jacked, they're excited, they're stoked, and they greet one another. Not with a holy kiss, but in a holy way. Okay? So you can practice the one another's. You can practice Romans 16, 16. I know some of you are taking notes right here. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You can practice. You can encourage one another this way. You can also do Ephesians 5, 19. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Or 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a spiritual gift, employ it, remember talking about this, in what? Say it, serving. In serving one another 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You've got a spiritual gift. You can serve and you can encourage one another that way. The second way is this. Hearing someone speak. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. And as such fits the occasion that we may give grace to those who hear. That's a pretty good rule, isn't it? That's a pretty good principle to guide our conversation. Let no unwholesome talk or corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as you recognize the language there. Building up. That's the same thing we had in verse 11. Build one another up. How do we do that? In speech. In words. In language. Words can either break down or they can build up. Let's build one another up. Let's encourage one another with language that's edifying, that's helpful, that fits the season. This made me think of Proverbs 25, 11. Uh, a word fitly spoken is like uh, apples of gold in settings of silver. Isn't that a good picture? I think of a centerpiece. Apples of gold in settings of silver. A word fitly spoken. You might be listening. You might think of a, a friend in a situation. You might speak fitly into that. You might speak rightly into that and be just the person to encourage. Just the person to build up someone with your language. Well, human words provide encouragement, but nothing so much, nothing so much as the Word of God. Take that article and take the A out and put a definite one, put the. Not a word, but the word. Speak the word. The word to one another. I believe this is the primary way of encouraging one another. From what we've just learned and what we can see confirmed elsewhere in the New Testament in hearing the word, not a word, but the word. That's how we're built up. Titus 1.9, Paul says uh, here, he says, encourage, encourage, same word, or exhort others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Did you ever think you'd see the word encourage and sound doctrine in the same sentence? It's there for a reason. You encourage one another with the word of God, with sound doctrine. You're built up. You're encouraged. I'm encouraged and edified by sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul instructs Timothy to preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season, when it's popular, when it's not popular. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's our word. Encourage with complete patience in teaching. How are we encouraged? When we hear the Word preached, when we heard the Word taught, when we speak the Word, capital T, capital W, the Word to one another. Romans 15.14 says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for what? Our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement, there it is, through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Scripture was written in part to be an encouragement to us. And when we speak it, when we read it, when we take it in, that's how we encourage one another. Okay, Now you have it. Okay, Now you have and you know the who the what, the why, and the how. There's only one thing left to do. Do it. Do it. You know it. This command is fairly simple, isn't it? Encourage one another. Now that you have it, do it. I yearn, I yearn, I pray for us to come back spiritually fit. Ready to launch into that spring semester with excitement, with endurance, with passion. The series we're planning, the the teaching we're planning then, I know you're going to be fired up about it. I pray that you would come back spiritually fit and ready, ready to pursue the Lord again together. Okay, I want, before we break, before we sing one more song, uh, you have sheets, and I know some of you take notes on them, some of you don't, but there's questions at the bottom. Before we get busy with our party, 
Okay, before we have a beard brawl, before we have a pie off, I want you to take a minute there on your sheet. I want you to list three influential people in your life. Three influential people. Three influential people that you're around that speak into your life or that you speak into. Okay, and I want you to put on a scale of one to ten how you think objectively you're doing it encouraging them. Okay? If you want, you put an answer, you put a number there, and you can ask them later on a scale of one to ten. You can say, be honest, how do you think I'm doing encouraging you? Okay? And the second question there is, what or how can you, what can you do or how can you encourage them more? How can you do a better job? And then finally, I want you to be extremely practical. When are you going to do this? When will you encourage them? I want us to follow through on this. I want us to be doers of the word. Okay, and finally, there at the bottom, what are two goals you hope to accomplish over Christmas break? Remember, you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. Okay, you've got to aim for something. Aim for something. So take a minute to fill these out, and then we'll sing again together. All right, let's pray together for the Lord to help us. Lord, we do need your help. We can't understand this. We can't apply this rightly apart from you, apart from your spirit working in us. So help us, Lord. Help this to sink in, to set on us. Help us to be doers, not merely hearers, deceiving ourselves. Lord, help us to see, to know, to understand. Help us to put these one another's into practice. God, help us to honor you and glorify you and worship you well by doing it. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God, our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us internal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.